Buffy and Frodo were in the Hogwarts library late into the night, prepping for the final trek into Mordor. Liz, I have to stop you. Why? Because this already sounds like the greatest story of all time. Hi, Liz. Hi, Kate. So, um, Tiny Army, we are doing a mini episode this week. Yeah. Because we wanted to share a little bit about um, ourselves and how we met each other and why we wanted to write fan fiction together. And then also, what is our writing process? How are we getting these stories finished? Yeah. How do we make such amazing stories that we then read to you in the most amazing, perfect accents and never too fast? How do we take out all of our ums and uhs and mispronunciations that don't even exist, listeners? They don't even exist. We just pretend that we are perfect speakers. Yes. Yeah. We've never said an um or a like in our lives, in our whole lives. We also have a couple announcements, too. Uh, I think something that's been playing at the top of our episodes is about our live show, which, Liz, I think you know more about that than I do. Yeah. Yeah, So we are on Sunday, August 25th. So this is... The Respect Women's Podcast Festival. You can find information about it at www.womenspodfestival.com. It's in Philadelphia. And we are going on at 12 noon on Sunday, August 25th. And it's free. Free admission from 11 to 5 p.m. Oh, wow. I didn't didn't even know that. That's amazing. Yeah. We're inviting everybody. That's so, great. you know, if you're in the area or near the area, you should definitely come. Come meet us. You oh, know, yeah. don't you want to since you're our biggest fans? Literally. Yeah. And there's going to be it's put on by a um, a Philly comic book store. It's all women, obviously all women podcasts. There's a podcast called Ladies Hip Hop. Um, there's a podcast called Women at Warp, which is a Star Trek podcast. So there's all sorts of perfect. Um, a lot of like queer podcasters, a lot of podcasters of color, a lot of geek podcasters. Perfect. Yeah, we're so excited to be a part of it. That just makes me so happy, too, to have... Because I think there's one or two other festivals that are catered towards women in podcasts, but the idea that it's, like, specifically, it seems to be a lot of nerd women. Yeah, and and this podcast specifically is put on by this uh, Philly group called the Black Tribbles, which is a group of um, people of color who are, like, self-identified geeks and really into geek culture. Um, And, you know, it makes sense that they are part of a comic book store. <laughs> um, so it's it takes place at Amalgam Comics and Coffee House, which is in Philly. Um, and it's three days of live shows. They're women-led podcasts. There'll be musical performances. And Philly's a cool town. If you've never like been here and explored the city, it's really fun. Um, and all of the festival proceeds are being donated to the Philadelphia School Partnership, which is a nonprofit organization with a mission to improve outcomes for low-income students and respond to the demands of families. Um, And also to teach PHL, so Teach Philadelphia, which is an online resource providing teachers, school administrators, and support staff in various Philadelphia schools with information and resources. And finally, also Donors Choose, which is near and dear to my heart because that is an organization that worked very closely with Teach for America. 
Um, and so that's an organization where teachers can go online and say, you know, hey, I want to do this lab with my kids, but we need 14 Bunsen burners or whatever they need. And donors can go online and be like, that looks like a cool project. I want to give to that. Um, and so teachers can raise money for projects that they want to do with kids. So it's all going to benefit the Philly public school system, which, guys, is a public school system that's in need of a little benefit. So... Yeah. Um, and you used to, you did teach for America. We've never talked about this on the podcast before. Yeah, you, I did. You taught kiddos. I taught them kiddos. Um, I taught in the Mississippi Delta, which is a sad place in terms of school systems. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, public school, the scene for public school out there is tough. And Kate, I think you and I are both products of our state's respective public school systems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just, you know, when you're particularly in places where the population of the public schools are poor and heavily minority, they just, they, this is how people get left behind. Um, yeah. And, you know, I could talk about this for days. It's definitely something I feel passionately about. Um, Which is why Liz and I will be teaching fan fiction writing classes at your local high schools. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Come find me in West Philly. If you want to learn how to write fan fiction, (laughs) I will teach you how to steal ideas from the best authors. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Well, I feel like this is like the most appropriate segue, but we should get into why we are writing fan fiction together. Yes. Or even just like, how we met because we are incredible people. We lead an army. How did, how did the worlds come together that, that, that like, you know, fate collided us. So yeah. we could make this beautiful podcast for you, tiny army. Oh, we have, we have humble beginnings. Um, sure. But we've, yes. we, you know, we've grown <laughs> to truly dictatorial, despotic leaders of an <laughs> army. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it all started um, like all amazing uh, origin stories do uh, at a menial job. <laughs> yeah. And appropriately at a restaurant called The Writing Room. Yeah. You and I were working as lowly, humble waitresses. Yeah. Trying um, to make it in the big city. And I think we sort of quickly realized that we were making jokes that like I would make jokes that only Kate would laugh at and Kate would make jokes that only I would laugh at. So pretty soon we were just leaving the floor to go like make jokes in a corner with each other. And the manager would have to find us and be like, you can't just leave your table. And we also like knew, and I'm sure you probably experienced this in school growing up. Like I think we both knew that we were the fucking weirdos in the room. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like we got all the weird references from like, you know, uh, Parks and Rec or Lord of the Rings or whatever. We got all the weird references and we got excited about weird things and nobody would laugh with us. So, you know what? They were cool. I'm sure a lot of the people we worked with are really good at like, I don't know, contouring or doing a bunch of shots. But you and I had our own thing going we, on. Yeah, we had a whole situation going on for ourselves. And um, so I feel like you're one of the only people in my life that I met at a restaurant job and then we stayed friends. Um, and part yeah. of that is because we started writing sketch comedy together. That's really, I think, what solidified our relationship. Yeah. Um, was We both decided that we were the funniest people we knew. And we and were right about that, we by also, the way. <laughs> I've seen no we evidence so right. the contrary. And we were also like, we were like, you're a talented actress and a talented writer. I'm a talented writer. 
and can maybe stand up and say lines. Um, and we were like, you know, I think the best way to showcase our talents is to write a half an hour sketch comedy series called The Millennial Falcon. Yeah, we decided we were going to go hard into really our first foray into fan fiction, which was an expanded universe Star Wars half hour sketch show. <laughs> yeah, performed by two women, which I felt like at the time was very controversial. The idea that we were going to do an entire sketch show for Star Wars with a lot of jokes that like you wouldn't get unless you had seen the movies, which I think is why it failed so miserably the yeah. few times we performed it. Just like <laughs> really deep cut jokes <laughs> and like a whole sketch yeah. that you wouldn't get unless you had both like a deep knowledge of Alderaan and <laughs> you were also a basic bitch <laughs> um yes yeah so needless to say we made some fan fiction mistakes in the beginning yes <laughs> together although I still um, think those were very funny sketches <laughs> And that it was our audience's fault for not being nerdy enough. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think with the right audience, they would have killed. I think while we were still writing sketch, we had talked about like, wouldn't it be fun to do a podcast where we find like the worst fan fictions and like sort of read them and kind of poke fun at them and then like rewrite them with fixes. Right. Um, And I think we both felt like that felt sort of mean. Yeah, because we're taking the work of people who are not getting paid to do it. Right. And have no agenda except happiness. <laughs> like truly just making fun of labors of love, which is not, not cool. right. <laughs> which doesn't feel exactly. It doesn't feel right. And it definitely doesn't feel like the general energy of fan fiction. Yeah. Yes. I know. Well, and then we were like, instead of being the cowards who critique the work of, of uh, the labors of love and the hard, the hardworking fan fiction writers out there, why don't we write fan fiction? Which was terrifying. Yeah, we decided to uh, put our money where our mouths were and write our own stuff. Um, this is maybe a good opportunity to segue into our writing process. Um, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. both you and I have trouble. I think we both get these ideas that we love. And then we have trouble with the follow through. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. And I will say like... The finish writing as a team which is not always easy and we can talk a little bit about how that was because when we wrote sketch we often like one person would maybe take point on sketch but we would do a lot of the writing together and I think yeah. that helped because it kept us honest about finishing things and it, you had yeah. someone to help you um, but these stories we've largely like we write our own stories and then we read them to each other so that's a different process because right we often like Prize each other with the stories. Yeah. So let's maybe segue a little bit into Kate. Do you want to start with, you know, talking about your writing process and, you know, how how that goes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so just to get down to like the granular level, the way I start a fan fiction after I've binged whatever the content is, uh, you know, whether it's five seasons of Buffy in four days or whatever, um, I just open up a Google Doc and I just start free typing for like 45 minutes. Um, generally to just spill out any ideas at all. So I'm just free typing like, you know, this, this idea is stupid, but I really love it, you know, and I'm literally like writing down my own inner monologue about how I feel about writing a fan fiction. And then somewhere in that 45 minutes, I'll have an idea, you know, for instance, like the Harry Potter fan fiction, I'll be like, I, you know, I'm, I'll, I literally wrote out, I don't want to write about kids having sex, <laughs> 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 but I, 
<laughs> but I did want to write a Harry Potter romance. But it all came out in my, uh, you know, in just this free writing that I was going to write about Neville because I find him to be one of the best characters and that I wanted to know what happened to him as he got older. And then um, once I have the idea, I just start with an outline. I In the same Google Doc, I do a page break and then I start with like, you know, Roman numeral one. And I say, <laughs> what's the first thing that happens? And then what happens? And then what happens? And then what happens? And of course, it doesn't always come out like perfect. So I'll go back and I'll fill in plot holes and this and that. But I basically like in the same way that and you know this as a teacher and I taught as well, like the same way you have to teach to write an essay. If you're going to take a standardized test or if you're going to turn in a paper, you have to write an outline first. Introductory paragraph with a thesis and then a body and then a conclusion. I'm like that's how I built these fan fictions. Now, while I'm writing, I do like to set up a certain environment. <laughs> uh, I, I am... I need music to write um, for whatever reason. It like makes, puts me in like an isolated little cube inside my head. I can do, I do very well at focusing if I have music in the background. And so I will specifically pick music. Like um, uh, I'm trying to think like for, again, for the Harry Potter fan fiction, I played the Harry Potter soundtrack or I will build a playlist that like for Buffy, I built a playlist of like nineties, like Alanis Morissette and a garbage and just stuff that like reminded me of that era. And so I built a playlist and played that in the background. I have no idea how I finish anything, uh, but I think it's just like you set a deadline and I'm accountable to you <laughs> and I have to read it to you and perform it to you. So it's like, I don't have a choice. I have to finish it. Um, and luckily with writing an outline, I've already figured out what the ending is. So I just have to fill that in. Yeah. I think that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Tell me about yours. Yeah. So I want any of the people who are listening out there who feel like, oh no, I don't make an outline. I'm so much less organized than that. My writing is so much more loosey goosey. I'm just here to make you feel a little better. Uh, because I, <laughs> I don't outline. It's a different <laughs> process. It's, it's fine. It's all about what works for you. Yeah, I mean, writing such an individual process. I have outlined, I will say, just like, you know, when I had to write a thesis in college or, you know, long academic papers where you really are like making mm -hmm. a point that needs to be mm -hmm. structured. Those I outlined. But outlines for me were always like pulling teeth. Um, mm. And I, I usually have like a pretty good idea of... You know, by the time I and this is both a, a strength and a weakness, I think like by the time I start writing, I can often see most of the story in my head. Um, mm -hmm. So that's good, but it's also bad because sometimes to get to a place where you can see most of the story in your head, it's taken you like two to three weeks of contemplation and then you have like a day left to write it. Right. So that's not necessarily a good I was, thing. Yeah. I was going to ask like what it because I, I brainstorm in the outline. What is your brainstorming period like? Is it all just thinking? Um, so a lot of it is just thinking. I have this weird thing that I, I fall asleep thinking about a story. Uh, and then oftentimes ah. I'll like I'll like sometimes weirdly like dream about it. But I'll often wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. And sometimes I forget like I'll know I like come across something and then I'll forget it by the next morning. Sometimes I'll write it down. Sometimes I'm just like brain remember. <laughs> but <laughs> for me, it's like a, a lengthy meditation. And then. OK, I, I just I have to get enough that I feel like I can start writing. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then a lot of times the shape of my story will change over the writing of it. 
Um, yeah. And I think that, that that also can happen with an outline. Like, I'm, I'm sure that has happened to you. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when you're writing fiction, even if you are a really good planner, um, you know, sometimes characters do unexpected things or you stumble across something or you go to like research something a little more deeply and you find out something else that you want to include. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I guess mine is just like much more loose. Um, I would actually like love to figure out a way to tighten my process up because um, I would like to write mysteries or, you know, sci-fi with a lot of mm. world building. And I think that those are things that you have to really have a good, you keep track of your world and what's in it and what you've done. Um, and so, you know, to bring it back to the Harry Potter stories we wrote, which is easily the longest piece of fiction I've ever written. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I was going to say you did really well at mystery in that. So even though you didn't have an outline. Yeah. And I, unless you did, I don't know. I, I didn't, but I did, I knew I wanted to structure it as a mystery. So I knew that there were like certain things I needed to include. And I think if I could write it again yeah. or, you know, if it were going to be a longer story, I would probably have to do either a lot of like, retroactively inserting clues and red herrings and that sort of thing or do a better job outlining. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm the same way where like if I'm writing, I really, if I'm going to be effective, I have a Word document open and that's the only thing open on my computer. Um, and sometimes mm -hmm. I have to physically, like I will open Instagram and then close it. <laughs> um, I have to download an app that locks my phone. I have the same thing. My phone has a timer on it. And after 30 minutes, it's yeah. like, no more social media. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one thing that helps me is if I can set sort of arbitrary, like mini deadlines for myself, because I, mm. I feel like I write better under pressure, mm -hmm. which, you know, may or may not actually be true. But one of the tricks that I have started to impose upon myself is to start writing like let's say an hour before I have to leave for work or I have to go do something else. And then I'm like, okay, like you got to get three pages done. You have to leave in an hour and you have that much time to get three pages done. And then it mm. feels like a time crunch, even though that's not the end deadline. So if you, if you're a person who likes to write under pressure, give yourself a couple of high pressure situations leading up to the time you actually have to have it done by. Yeah. Um, you're still probably going to end up finishing the last day, but at least you won't be writing the whole thing two hours before you have to record it. <laughs> Which I've also I also done. think that technique, what you're describing, kind of like breaks away the the fear, the like fear of doing something wrong and needing to be precious. If you're like, it doesn't matter, I have to get three pages done in an hour. You just start typing out things that you otherwise would be like, oh, maybe that's stupid, you know? Right. And then exactly. you go back to it and you're like, oh, no, that was fine. Like, you know, you yeah. don't need to be as precious about it. Um. Yeah, I, I can't write to a soundtrack. Um. Mm. So I, I don't write to music. I I don't know if it's partially because I am a singer and a musician. And so music I find really distracting because I much. have to pay attention yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do like writing in public because. Oh, see, I can't do that. That's so funny. That's yeah. See, I will not watch Netflix if I'm in public because I will be ashamed. Um, so shame <laughs> is a good motivator. <laughs> but see, I. It's funny, I I'll speak a lot of my dialogue out loud. And I think I got that from writing sketches. Mm -hmm. um, but so so I can't write in public because I'll be talking to myself. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I yeah. also speak my dialogue out loud, but I, I will sometimes do that at like a later stage. Gotcha. Um, so I don't really have to do it while I'm writing. So yeah, so speaking of that, actually, do you have tips? 
like writing tips that you want to give our listeners? Sure. I, I think some of the best writers are really good at copying, which is essentially what fan fiction is. And I think the, the best way to copy is to immerse yourself in it, in whatever it is that you want to copy. So like, for instance, it, you know, I, when I wanted to write the, the star Wars fan fiction that we did in our season one, and I was writing basically from the point of view of Lando Calrissian, I just watched super clips of him talking like oh. like YouTube super clips of him talking both during the movie and in interviews. So I just like basically immersed myself in how he speaks and like what might be his point of view by just listening to his voice and nobody else reacting to it. Um, and I probably did that for like an hour. And so, um, and then also like if I wanted to write something that was, you know, like when we wrote the Harry Potter one, I started listening to the the Harry Potter audiobook and I uh, started rereading parts of the book because to me, writing a Harry Potter fan fiction is, is better when you're like mapping the prose in the way that JK writes. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't necessarily have to be true. Like, of course, fan fiction can be written whatever way, but that's just like, I just like to steal, literally steal the world. So I like to go in and like, I'm going to steal the, the cadence and the word right. choice and all that stuff just because it, it like, I feel like it fully envelops you. And so I love yeah. to, particularly in writing dialogue, um, and I like writing good dialogue. I think I'm very proud of my dialogue compared to some of my prose is because I want to listen endlessly to what who I think the character is and then map mm -hmm. off of that and try specifically to make the dialogue different than I speak myself. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I do a similar thing with dialogue, actually. Like, I like to read aloud and listen to like when we wrote Lord of the Rings I, I spent a lot of time listening to the different characters to get a feel for cadences and accents and part of that is because we have to read our stories aloud and so you do yeah. want to have like sort of a handle on not that we do it perfectly uh, admittedly but you want to have a handle on a little bit of like how this character speaks that's different from the way that other characters speak so you know Lord of the Rings all of the characters are very slow and deliberate and dramatic oh um, yeah and crossing that with Doctor Who, wherever it's a very like rapid fire, silly, jokey, like thoughts go off on tangents. Um, I didn't even know you'd notice that you were doing that on purpose in that episode, but you it's truly like you nailed that now that I think oh, about it. Like you. in the editing, it felt like each character felt, even though you were dealing with like eight characters, they each felt so different. So you really nailed that. Um, yeah. And that sort of leads into like my other big tip is you know, I know we write fan fiction, so we're inherently writing about characters that like aren't real because there it's it's like a meta non-real process. Like we have our characters that are based on characters or our characters that someone else has written. And um, but mm -hmm. I, I think to write a good story, and I think this is true of any good story, stories start to ring false to me when I feel like the minor characters are plot device characters. Yeah. Um, and so I think you know, one of the things that I try to do is I want every character in my stories, at least I want to know their backstory. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't necessarily make it into the story, right? And it, of course it can't, but um, I think this is important. And I think if I were to ever try to write something longer, um, you know, I would be a person with a character Bible, not necessarily an outline, but a character Bible. Sure, um, yeah. And I think, you know, that's you want small characters to feel like real characters and not just people that enter the scene to do something for the plot. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe I'm sensitive to this because I am a woman. And so often Mm. female characters, like women characters are really flat and there to further the protagonist's journey. And I think probably Mm. that's true of most, like I'm sure that, well, I'm not sure, but I, I feel like that's probably true of, you know, characters of color when, you know, you feel like it's a token and not really integral to the plot or, um, you know, queer characters, LGBTQ characters that are Mm -hmm. there so that there can be like a sassy gay friend or like. Absolutely. Yeah. A girl that's not a romantic interest. (laughs) Yeah. I always find myself asking, like when you see those side characters, particularly in TV, I see them and I'm just like, why do you want to be here? You know what I mean? To the side character. I'm like, what right. is their motivation for even being in the room with this person? Right. Exactly. Like, you know, they, they particularly like for like a sassy gay friend, they never set up like that. They're good friends. That person mm-hmm. is there just to serve the purpose of like listening to their problems. And I'm like, why? Right. Like if I were them, like, I wouldn't want to fucking be there. <laughs> yeah. Like is all you do listen to problems and offer quips back. Like, yeah. Like what a pointless existence. And so it's unrealistic. Yeah. So actually, I've been rewatching um, Veronica Mars recently because mm-hmm. the shows, the first three seasons are finally streaming, which they've never been up to this point. And there's going to be a new season coming out on Hulu. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things that Rob Thomas is the head writer of that show and the other writers on the show, by the way, in season four, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is one of the writers on that show, which I think is really cool because that oh, dude's wow, not that only really a cool. basketball legend, but he writes mystery novels. <laughs> He's oh, amazing. He's so he's a really good writer. (laughs) Um, It's like a little unfair. Like no one should be that tall and also good at writing. That's just like, come on. Yeah, How does all the blood in his body get to his brain quick enough? You know, it's hard to say. (laughs) Not that I'm saying tall people are stupid. I'm not saying that, but I'm curious. You know what? I'm I'm going to go ahead and say (laughs) tall people are dumb. (laughs) Uh, If you're over six foot eight. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Tall people are wonderful. Our very good friend Shayna is very tall. Anyway, that's true. She's a wonderful writer. I'm not a tallest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, one of the things that I really like that I noticed much more this time around is so Veronica's best friend, Wallace, um, often calls her out because she's always, you know, she'll ask him to, can you go do a favor for me? Or, you know, I need this from you. I need that from you. And he'll say, and it happens more than once that there'll be sort of a dialogue where he's like, I'm not just here to do you favors. Like I have my own Ah, stuff going on. And I I just sort of liked that because you do see that a lot with any protagonist. If you're so focused on the protagonist, yeah, you know, the minor characters start to feel like plot devices. And I think Veronica Mars is a show that does a good job rounding out you know, a lot of its characters. Um, But it was cool to see that articulated. Um, And then I guess the last tip I would give, and I don't know how you feel about this, Kate, but I think both of us identify as like people who are funny. Yes. Um, And I think that can make it hard to write anything that's not funny because you start to feel self-conscious leaning into things that are more emotional or dramatic. Yeah. Um, But I, I don't know that you can be, I think you can be a good... I don't know. I don't know that you can be a good comedian without having the vulnerability to lean into things that are a little more emotional, like, because then there's, you know, where's the contrast that makes things funny. So I don't know, I guess just don't be afraid to write something that scares you a little. Yeah. I mean, this makes me think specifically of um, your story about Drusilla, the Buffy story, Mm -hmm. because that, I wouldn't say like we do normally like write funny things, I think, because we're just because we're 
we're old and this is going to be in the public. And so we feel like very self-conscious about being hyper vulnerable. At least I'm speaking for myself in this. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so I often write funny before I write deeply emotional. But like your Drusilla story, um, there was some like dark shit in that. And there was some like real sadness when it came to the women characters um, being like defeated and being traumatized. And you like did not brace with any comedy when you wrote that story, um, except for like a few moments with the the demon in it. But it was like perfectly timed to like break things up. And I just I don't know. I think like I feel myself writing comedy instead of emotion and you probably think the same but I I I don't know when I I guess what I'm trying to say is that like you put a lot of emotion in your stories and it often surprises me and I think it's really deep and awesome and so I think maybe I do that too and I just don't notice it because I want everyone to think I'm hysterical does that make sense (laughs) yeah no and I think like we've both gotten to places with our stories where they're like vulnerable and a little sad and and yeah I also I use humor as a coping mechanism and Mm, I think mm -hmm. as women we've been taught not to embrace and use our anger um Mm -hmm. but you know we're also constant at least I don't know I don't want to speak for you I am full of rage all the time and this political climate is not making it better (laughs) oh my yes particularly in the last couple years I am full of intense rage yeah and I think oftentimes like joking about it in a public setting makes it acceptable but the cool thing about writing is that you can purely channel that rage and sadness and like brokenheartedness And that's an okay and safe place to do it. And so that's definitely something I'm trying to actively work on is is not being afraid to, you know, write about how angry and sad I am. And a lot of it is about, you know, the way that people are treated. And I think the Drusilla story, like, I didn't necessarily intend for that to be such a dark story. But when I started writing it, I was like, ah, fuck this, man. (laughs) Like, it is terrible to be a woman. I would want to be a soulless vampire, too. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I totally connected with that story. It was amazing. I was quiet for a lot of it because I was like, yes. Like, there was the, when things got dark and violent, I was like very gratified. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, lean into that. That's my tip. Get mad. Get mad, Tiny Army. Get mad. Tiny Army, you've got to get out there and you've got to fight. And we need your rage. We need your anger. <laughs> we need it. Yeah. That's another safe space to channel your rage is on the battlefield. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because your enemy, copyright lawyers, they're emotionless. Okay. They're yeah. lawyers. Yeah. Absolute what automatrons? I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Sure. They, they sure. <laughs> they're less endearing datas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're datas uh, who are not trying to find their own humanity. They're just content to be soulless androids. Yes. Yes. That is how I see all lawyers. Except for your brother. Your brother's <laughs> lovely. <laughs> So I think we have we have like one talking point to finish out for this for our little baby up here mm-hmm. um, uh, that you sent to me yesterday over message. Uh, but before we talk about that, I just want any tiny army out there full of rage and full of gumption. If you want to send us writing tips or ask us questions about writing or anything like that, you know, we would love to hear it or send us your stories. Do you if you write or Ugh, you write fan fiction, love, we'd love to read it on here in a mini app. Yeah, we would love to do an episode. And I think we put this in our, you know, the um, 
the like snippet that runs at the top of our podcast now. Like we actively want your submissions. If you, yes, you know, if you want to submit stuff that you've written, please do. We'd love to read it. Um, if you want to stay anonymous, like we won't say your name, however you mm-hmm. want that to go down. But, mm-hmm. you know, send us your stuff and yeah, we just, we'd love to read it. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love your questions. We yes. love you guys. We love you guys. You're the best. Um, okay, so yesterday, Liz, you sent me a New York Times article and you said, quote unquote, I feel personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> can and you I tell stand me about where, by that. Can you tell um, me about this article? Yes. Tiny Army. You can read this article. It's on NewYorkTimes.com. Um, if you're not a subscriber, you get like 10 free articles a month. So use those free articles. So it's called, it's part of a column called Smarter Living. Yeah. And the title of the article is, it's never going to be perfect. So just get it done. And I like, so the article is about how, you know, that it's the famous Voltaire quote that, the perfect is the enemy of the good or whatever the exact phrasing on that is. And it's all like, it's all true, right? Like perfectionism does us no favors. Perfectionism is what has us writing stories from start to finish three hours before record because we just like couldn't get a handle on starting them earlier. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to write this article, give me something new. Like give me a tip, right? Don't just... Uh, it's it just it drove me crazy because it's one more article telling me not to be a perfectionist and that perfectionism is bad and that research shows that people are more satisfied with their decisions when they make decisions than when they like agonize over what the best decision is and like of course all that is true but if the only tip you have to offer is to set micro goals like open a Google Doc for this week's newsletter instead of pick a perfect topic, write a perfect lead and have perfect organization, which like, first of all, is a bad example because nobody's to-do list is three perfects in a row. But I don't know. You're writing for the New York Times. Give me some advice I haven't heard before. <laughs> I don't know. I was really frustrated yeah, when I read this. No, I'm with you. I, I also like, and and this is uh, actually kind of a callback to some of my writing history. I have wrote, used to write books for um, like sales business development. Mm-hmm. for like men who wanted to write books about how they were successful. And so of course they paid me to write them. Of course. Um, uh, and it comes from this, like, like in reading this article, I was like, Oh, this is one of those things that's in a newsletter where it's like, you know, uh, they're just using buzzwords to describe things that are like common sense. Like this idea of the maximizer and the satisfier, the maximizer is someone who thinks of all possible scenarios and then tries to, to discern which is the most perfect one. Whereas the satisfier makes quick decisions. It's just this like, wacky way that like business development people and marketing people want to like categorize you so they mm-hmm. can be like you're the instant shopper you're the decision maker but you're the 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 whatever cautious shopper it's like this is just and then people apply it to themselves and they pick up books like Marie Kondo's book and they do all these like really like kind of strictly structured ways. And so I'm applying this to writing. It's like, you know, 
applying like I'm well, I'm a, a maximizer when it comes to my writing so I have to write like this it's like you're a different person from day to day some days yeah. you can make a tough decision when it comes to writing and some days you can't and so this I don't know I just hate this like like here's the newsletter of like how to better your life and be more efficient and be smarter and like listen to this one podcast and it'll make you a better writer instantly because of these five tips it's like don't clickbait that friends don't and New York Times stop publishing it <laughs> Yeah. I also think that there's a very privileged and dare I say male element to the idea that mm -hmm. you can just like it's better to put crappy bullshit out there than nothing at all. And that along with that idea comes the assumption that you can make something bad and you will be given another benefit of the doubt infinite chances to make something else right to make something better yeah, absolutely right? absolutely like we don't get an infinite amount of second chances so the anxiety no. around anything we produce is a lot higher and that's not necessarily I mean that's not a good thing and I think one of the things I have no. loved about doing this podcast which is self-produced and we're going to keep putting it out there whether people like it or not because they can't stop us <laughs> they literally can't no. stop us <laughs> no but so that has lowered. And actually, that's the nice thing about fan fiction is it does lower the entrance barrier of like, OK, a yes. lot of the story's actually been taken care of already. So I can focus on yeah. these other things. I can focus on plot. I can focus on like my one character that I'm creating anew. I was um, just about to say fan fiction is like such has become particularly like archive of our own and Wattpad has become a very positive environment for writers to make mistakes. And it is mm -hmm. overwhelmingly women writers. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, mm -hmm. we need spaces like that because I don't know. I don't have a, a New York Times column that I can, <laughs> you know, like the whole point of this guy was like, oh, my God, I agonized over this column and like oh, how ironic. And I want to be like, you know what? You still put out a bad column. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> like maybe you should have spent more time on this. <laughs> right. Your endpoint was like, oh, thank God I just went and wrote it. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Did the world need this? This was not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, basically our writing advice is that you have your own way of doing it. And it doesn't matter how long you take, but probably you should finish it. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, sit down and sit down and write something. Yeah, have a friend, have an accountability partner. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. That's our mini app. We hope you learned a lot about us and about writing and about yourself, Tiny Army. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hit us up with questions or comments or fanfics that you wrote. Yeah, you can reach us um, on Twitter and Instagram at WorldStealers. Uh, and you can email us at WorldStealersPod at gmail.com. That's right. We're also on Facebook. Um, oh, but we're, yes. I don't know. I would say that's probably the worst way to interact with us. Like, we'll get that yeah, eventually, don't but don't go to I Facebook. don't really. Yeah, I just, I don't check it that often. So go to, go to Twitter <laughs> or Instagram or email us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, as always, uh, hide your kids. Hide your worlds. Because we're coming for them. Just the worlds, <laughs> not the kids. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't want your kids. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.